0: When we first moved into the house that we live in now, we bought a fixer-upper. It was overgrown in the front, and there was a lot to clear out and clean, and it's still an ongoing project. We work on it as we can. But one of the things that I wanted to point to this morning is when we moved in to the right by the fence, there was this fairly large mimosa tree. And mimosa trees are beautiful, but they are a mess. And so all over the roof was this brown residue. If you parked your car under the mimosa tree, you end up with all of this stuff on it. And so Cindy wanted the mimosa tree gone. So that becomes part of the never-ending, ongoing honeydew list. And at that point, we had Andrew living with us. So um, we went off. I forget where we went, but we came back. Andrew had pretty much cut the mimosa tree down to a stump. Thankful. That's awesome. And that was years ago. You know, Andrew's married now and living somewhere else. He's 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 happily uh, wed. But at that point, after, after we had it reduced to a stump, I began to try to kill it. And I, I put everything on that stump but nuclear warfare. I mean, I poured gas on it. I put salt on it. I covered it so no light could get to it. And it would just break out of the plastic and no way to kill the stump. So I decided I'm going to dig it out. I'm going to get my axe out. Oh, you know, no big fancy tools. And I worked around that stump and I cut every root I could see. And I hooked my truck up to it. And I put a chain on that stump and Cindy's watching. And as I pulled the truck forward, when the chain tightened up, bang, the truck stopped. The stump didn't move. It didn't budge. And Cindy laughed. And I had hurt my back trying to dig that stump out. I threw in the towel. At that point, I began to look for someone with a stump grinder. Cindy found a person. I called him. He came over. In five minutes, that stump was gone. What's the point? I came to the end of myself. I had to depend upon another with greater power and greater tools than I had. And when I did, when I gave in, all of that hard, fruitless work was over and the stump was gone, literally in five minutes. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I embraced a strength outside of me. All the frustration over the stump went away including the stump going away. I entrusted the hard work to another, finally, after a lot of stubborn effort, and boom, success. See, today I wanted to point us to a text that God is calling us to embrace a power outside of ourself, the power of his word, the power of his spirit in our witness. And last week I had preached on us being on mission and challenging us. This week I wanted something to encourage us, to, to strengthen us, to, uh, help us to have hope outside of ourselves when we are seeking to be witnesses for Christ. So this is a more practical message, I guess. I think all of them are practical. I don't like that distinction, but this is more of a, you know, a how-to message. But this text has always encouraged me. From from the early days of being a Christian, uh, it helped me to relate to the Apostle Paul and and to uh, have hope in the midst of difficulty. So today we want to look at, I read chapter 1 up through verse 5 of chapter 2. Really just going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5 in chapter 2. And I titled this message, Powerfully Weak. Powerfully Weak. And what we see here, Paul is ministering to the Corinthians and if you know anything about the Corinthian church there there are quite a few issues going on in the church which he deals with in this letter and and re- he asks and answers questions and I encourage you to read it uh the longer i've been in uh, a christian the longer i've been in ministry the less sort of hard i am in my mind on the Corinthian church because there's there's a list for every church stuff that needs to be dealt with, weaknesses, struggles, and if you imagine this very young church uh, called out of a very pagan culture into faith, needing that uh, structure and and discipleship, there are a lot of things that need to be uh, corrected. So Paul is writing to the church. He went to Corinth in his second missionary journey, near the tail end of his second missionary journey. He went there and preached the gospel. You know, he has been on his on his missionary journeys and suffering for preaching the gospel, but his hopes in God, he continues. Uh, he's being led and provided for. And so he goes there, he preaches the gospel. Like in a lot of other cities, souls are saved and a church is planted that needs nurture and now he's writing this epistle to address some some opportunities for growth in the church there's division in the church you saw first you saw as i read chapter 1 how much he is he is grounding them still in god's grace and seeking to center them and root them in christ and telling them they don't lack any spiritual gift that they have everything they need to walk faithfully with christ and then he begins to work on correcting some divisions they have elevated men to the position where christ should be and dividing over you know who they're following who's their favorite teacher. No, nobody in the church does that these days. So, <laughs> But he's, he's seeking to center them in Christ and rest them in Christ and and help them to not only live for Christ, but but, you know, growing grace and be on mission for Christ. And so again, the chapter one starts and finishes with being rooted and grounded in Christ. And at the end there, we know he says that it's of God, God's sovereign grace that you're in Christ Jesus. And that Christ is for us true wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So those who boast are to boast in the Lord. So today we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. We're going to see, hopefully this was the sort of the main point I wanted us to bring out of this text. We see Paul's heart. We, We peek into his heart. What was his heart going into Corinth? What was his philosophy of ministry? We like to use that term a lot. As he went in there with the gospel, how exactly did he go in and see God use him and see souls converted and a church planted? What's the trick? What's the secret? We get a peek into, there's really no trick or secret. It's just depending on and following after Christ and trusting God and His Word. But the main point is to be successful witnesses, we must embrace both our weakness and God's power to see souls converted. So they kind of see the title, the sort of the contrast, powerfully weak. We know that God's power is made perfect in weakness, Paul would say, uh, to this same... Uh, church at a later time. But to be successful witnesses, we must embrace both our weaknesses and God's power to see souls converted. Look back in, in chapter two. We're going to look first at be powerfully weak by what to avoid. Be powerfully weak by avoiding these things. We want to be strong in God's power, embrace our weakness, not lean upon ourself, but trust him and trust his power, trust his gospel, trust that he's using us as an instrument in his hand to accomplish his purpose. So these are things that Paul said that he avoided, and they are things that can help us and give us peace and help us not to rely on anything other than, than God and his, his word and his gospel and the power of his spirit as we seek to be witnesses for him. So be powerfully weak by avoiding these things. First, I put, do not rely on human eloquence. Look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, brethren, I know I moved that around a little bit, but it just flows, I think, better that way. When I came to you, Corinthians, when I came to Corinth, when I came with the gospel at first... When I came to you, brethren, brothers and sisters is the flavor there. Church, family in Christ, because by God's grace, we've been called to faith. You could say, when I first came to you, brethren, I did not come this way. Now watch watch what he says. I did not come proclaiming to you first stop the testimony of God. Now, now look at that. The testimony, or you may have a translation. Some Some of them say the mystery of God. It's really talking about the same thing. The mystery is Christ, and it is the gospel. And it's, you know, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised the third day. He brings Jew and Gentile into one body. It is, the gospel comes from God. It is about his son. It's what he uses to save his people. So Paul says, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony or the mystery of God. I didn't do it this way. And see this would this way would be what people would be expecting from a speaker in that day. This is be what people people would be looking for polished speech, impressive speech. The Greek rhetoric of the day. Men would come in with confidence. With, with skill and well-crafted speeches to impress the people. And Paul says, I'm not doing any of that. He, re- he refuses to use his gifts to manipulate. Oh, that preachers today would embrace a mindset like that. There's so much manipulation that takes place. But Peter, Peter, Peter would say the same thing. Paul says, I did not come. Brethren, when I first came to you, I did not come with the rhetorical polish of the day with the the philosophy and the complex arguments and all of these things. Worldly wisdom. He said, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come with lofty speech or human wisdom. He's going to later say they do proclaim a wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. And we've already seen the contrast in chapter one. He's literally saying, I didn't come with high sounding words. In verse four, he will call it plausible words. He wasn't using his gifts to persuade or to bring people over to his side. If you know anything about Paul, he had considerable gifts. He is a he is a towering intellect. He is a well-ordered thinker. If you I mean read Book of Romans, for instance, or if you want to read a smaller book, Ephesians, or you know, those those letters that are so just well ordered and and well organized and and packed with with um biblical biblical persuasion. But he says, "He says I'm not trying, I didn't come to show Paul. I didn't come so that you go away thinking and talking about Paul. I didn't come to you with lofty speech, with high sounding words, with eloquence. My goal was not eloquence first and foremost. I mean, if you look up in the dictionary, eloquence is a, a discourse marked by force and persuasiveness. So I didn't come to be persuasive as it relates to the argument that I was crafting, the high sounding words that I was using, the worldly wisdom and the the rhetoric of the day. I didn't come to you to be a polished speaker necessarily. To use my gifts to persuade you or manipulate you. He says, I didn't come to you with, with lofty speech or with human wisdom, the Greek polished tricks, if you want to do, of the day. Now listen, we do know that Paul sought to persuade people. If you, if you, if you look back on the missionary journeys that we've already studied in the book of Acts, you'll see him in the synagogue and, you know, in the streets and, you know, outside of the synagogue seeking to persuade people but he's doing it from scripture. He's trying to persuade them from scripture that Christ Jesus is the Messiah, is the the one who was looked forward to, the one who would come to save. So he's not using polished techniques to gain an audience and gain approval and turn them to his way of thinking. He wasn't seeking to put Paul on display. He wasn't using the art of intellectual persuasion to convert. No amount of eloquence can raise the dead. You can be a polished speaker as you want to. And you have nothing in you that can raise the dead. And we know that before coming to Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Preachers are preaching in a graveyard if they're preaching to unbelievers. It's usually a mixed audience. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, God will not share the spotlight. There cannot simultaneously be a demonstration of the Spirit's power and of my power's intellect or of speech or of personality. God doesn't use those things. Those those things are not the power of God. Now, there's there's no case to be made for for disorganized or, you know, lack of persuasion or just flying by the seat of your pants when you talk. But all when we are presenting especially the gospel, but anytime we're preaching the word, we should be shining the spotlight away from ourselves to Christ Jesus, seeking to get out of the way. So Paul is not saying, I wasn't relying on myself. I wasn't relying on my well-crafted arguments. I wasn't relying on my apologetic, my ability to answer every question. I was relying upon something else. But, he, but before we get there, he also said oral wisdom. I didn't come to you with lofty speech, Or wisdom. Think human wisdom. Worldly wisdom. What he's already said, he's, he's, he's bringing down in chapter one. He said, I didn't come to you with the, with the, the, the philosophy and the wisdom of the day that, that is not rooted in God and, and in his word, but it has its source in man and is about, really about man. Worldly human wisdom fails because it starts with man. I can't, there's so much that could be said this morning. You know, worldly wisdom is man is the measure of things, and everything is measured by and and uh, and and man, and, uh, and in contrast to man. But First 1 Corinthians one we one, re-read it. He's already said for listen, Watch this: since in the wisdom of God, you have a contrast here. Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, through human wisdom, through. What we've talked about. It pleased God through the folly. Now, watch this. It pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. See, worldly wisdom starts with man, and I'm going to put this in, you know, tries to reason to God. Actually, we know if we read scripture that 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 the natural man, what with the worldly wisdom, actually can't find God for the same reason that a a crook can't find a policeman. He's not looking for it. He's looking for excuses. He loves his sin, Jesus said in John chapter 3. That's why he won't come to the light. Worldly wisdom starts with man and wants to make God jump through man's hoops. Godly wisdom starts with God and interprets all things in light of him. See, Paul didn't go into Corinth thinking, I've really got to impress these people so that they will listen to me. I've got to open the door through these approaches so that they will then be willing to hear the gospel and what I'm preaching. He didn't think the people in Corinth were just mostly dead as he was coming in. He knew they were. Dead in trespasses and sins, and he knew what they needed. See, true wisdom, biblical wisdom, real wisdom starts with God. Without the fear of the Lord, you don't have any true wisdom or any true knowledge. You don't reason up to it. You start with it. Uh, Proverbs 9:10 is one scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And if you go look in chapter 1, verse 7, knowledge, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. What's that? Without the fear of the Lord, we have no true wisdom. We're relying on human wisdom. We're making ourselves the center. Paul said, I'm not coming in with persuasive words thinking my powers can convert anybody. I'm not going to sort of embrace some myth of neutrality and meet these people like where they are and try to help them reason up to God. What I'm going to do is go in independence upon God and do the things that please Him. I mean, if you listen to Cy at all, Cy 10 Bruggenkate, uh, and I don't know, he may have gotten this from Bonson or somewhere else, but he's const- he will say, God is not the God you reason to. He's the God you can't reason without. <laughs> He has to be our starting point. And see, Paul knows this. And so it shapes his philosophy of ministry. And just real quickly, the third, we, we, we shouldn't rely on, he didn't rely on human eloquence. He didn't rely on human wisdom. He didn't rely on human strength. He embraced his weakness, his inability. He knew that he couldn't in and of himself convert anybody. And so that set him free. And it will set us free if we'll embrace it. We can't. We, don't, we can't argue people into the kingdom. We don't have to argue people into the kingdom. Their salvation is not dependent upon me being able to answer all of their questions. Now, within reason, I want to answer their questions as long as it doesn't mean just not helping them throw up smokescreen after smokescreen. Paul was not seeking to be the reason They believed he was seeking to be a vessel, a clean vessel, a vessel that got out of the way through which God worked to bring his people to himself. And again, that'll set you free. If you look at this list, think about the preachers and teachers today. When people say they like somebody, when people are looking for someone to listen to, these are high on the list, aren't they? They're looking for somebody who's eloquent and polished, and speaks well, who's funny. I, listen, no, no bones to pick with, with right humor. With, I don't have a case for boring speech. But it's the ones who are well-spoken and good-looking and promise you the moon that you'll listen to if you're not careful. But see, Paul said, I'm not going to rely on human wisdom. I'm not going to rely on human eloquence. I'm not going to walk in my own strength. I'm going to seek to get out of the way and put Christ front and center. And listen, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. It'll set you free if you'll embrace it. People's souls are not dependent upon you and your gifts and your wisdom. Sure, you want to study to show yourself approved, but you only have to give the answers that you know. You only have to share the Scripture that you know. If you don't answer all the questions, that doesn't mean you blew it. Oh, if I'd have just said this, they'd have come to Christ. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. Not your job to bring anybody to Christ. It's your job to be a messenger. Let it set you free. Paul said, I'm not coming in to try to impress you. I didn't come to try to impress you with my gifts. With my eloquence. With the wisdom you were looking for. Human wisdom. I wasn't walking in my strength. So secondly, listen. Be powerfully, be powerfully weak by embracing these things. Be powerfully weak by embracing these things. He said, I didn't come this way in verse one. But I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We'll come back to that in a second. Now watch this. And this is the verse. This is the verse that so powerfully encouraged me over the years and would encourage you, I think, if we embrace it. But it says, I was with you in weakness. and in fear, and in much trembling. Now, we know from what we know about the Apostle Paul that first and foremost, he he knows his weakness because he's, he's seen and come to embrace God's strength. We know that he fears the Lord and trembles at his word, right? So, God first, God's glory first, eyes on God. It's an intimidating thing to minister for God and to preach His Word. So the first part of that fear and trembling is His fear of the Lord. But listen, there was some real intimidation. This is a human. He's a man. And, and, and He's seen what can happen when the Word is preached. And it brings joy and it brings trouble. But he says, I was there. My knees were knocking. I was in touch with my weakness. I had fear in my heart. I had to pray into and embrace Christ and the mission and his strength coming to you. Just when I said embrace courage, this is the apostle. This is the apostle Paul. That's not just some speaker somewhere. He's there, yes, in fear of the Lord, but he also has some knee knocking going on. And as I read this, I say, believe it, number one. These were men just like any other man. And he was in touch with his weakness and he was trembling. It should be an intimidating thing to preach God's word. It should be an intimidating thing. And I'm, I'm pointing at chairs right now, but when you're standing before people, we are I am through video. It's even more intimidating in some ways cameras do funny things to you it can be really intimidating to witness who can't embrace that who can't think about that i mean listen all sorts of thoughts go through our head when we're when we're striving to be a witness and, and we get sidetracked by worrying what people are going to think about us, by worrying about the consequences. If I speak for Jesus, then all this bad stuff is going to happen. Most time, none of it ever does. Sometimes it does. But listen, the point here, looking at Paul and his trembling, is for me to say, don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect it to be comfortable. Don't expect these sort of feelings to go away. But just embrace them. And let, let the fear and trembling that is there of intimidation to speak to others or intimidation by others or any sort of earthly fear and trembling, let that, let that turn your head up to look into the Lord and fearing and trembling before Him and have His glory be your major motivator and His love for you and therefore returning your love for Him, making you willing to speak. But listen, don't expect it to ever be easy. And the reason I use courage here is without fear, there's no courage. Courage is the overcoming of fear. To do something that needs to be, that is important, that needs to be done, right? I mean, people who are on the battlefield understand that. Don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect not to be hesitant. Don't expect not to be intimidated. Don't, don't expect not wanting to bolt but embrace your weakness and your fear and trust Him to act through you. Ask Him to act through you and trust Him to act through you. Without fear, there is no courage. And gospel boldness in answer to prayer is a work of the Spirit. We are all intimidated to witness for Christ. If we're thinking rightly, for a lot of different reasons. But God gives the boldness that He asks us to have as we seek Him through His means of grace. And you can see that. We've already seen that. Remember, if you remember our study in Acts chapter 4, you can go read it. If, if not, the, the apostles have been... Before the leadership of the Jews, they've been threatened for preaching the gospel. They've been warned not to preach the gospel. And so they gather with the church. And I'm sure, yes, there's a fear of the Lord and there's a trust in the Lord demonstrated by the prayer, but there's some intimidation there. I mean, this is the government. These are people that can have your head in various ways. But the church gathers and they pray and they set it before the Lord and he grants boldness so that they continue to speak the gospel and the Word of God with boldness. So the first step is, I'm not bold. I don't have this kind of boldness. I, this is, these are outside of my resources. This is where I need God to work in me to make me bold because I don't have it. And the means to having it is to, yes, the Word and look and trust Him and to pray. You see them praying through the Word if you look in, in uh, Acts chapter 4. And God then answers... And listen, when you have boldness, it means that you will speak, not that you won't still have some knee knocking. That's why I said don't expect that to go away. Just ask God to overcome it and to help you overcome it so that you open your mouth for Jesus. Relate to Paul. There in weakness and fear and trembling. There on mission for Christ. And empowered. You know he's praying into when he goes into Corinth. And being used by christ so embrace courage embrace simplicity this is one of the real needs that we have is to embrace simplicity to embrace focus to bring things into their proper focus see at the core at its core the gospel is a simple message children can understand it and embrace christ as their savior it's a simple message And Paul summarizes it. Look look how simply he summarizes the testimony of God, the witness of God, the mystery of God that he's speaking about. Look in verse 2, back at it again. I decided to know nothing. I decided to focus like a laser. I decided to be very simple when I came to you. And look how he summarizes I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day. And salvation is through trusting in Him. Free gift. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul said he decided to know. Nothing but that. He came to proclaim that. Because he knew that is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Go read Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now sure, we spring off of this and, and there's a lot of places we can go with this. But at, at its root, at its heart, the gospel is a simple message. See, Paul knew that this simple message was not what, now listen to me. He knew this was not what people were looking for. He knew that going in. He knew that to them, this is foolishness. Now watch it. He knew that going in. Look at, we, we read this, but look at verse 18 of chapter one. See, we want it not to be foolishness. We want it to be impressive. We want people to, to, to just bow and, and not dislike us and not resist us and, But look, Paul knew going in that this was a message that people hated in their natural status. Verse 18 of chapter one says the word of the cross. What's that? That's the gospel. That we would have to be saved by someone dying on a cross. He said the word of the cross is folly. What is that? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Jews demand signs, verse 22, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul said, I know I'm going in with a message people hate, but I'm going to faithfully proclaim that message about Jesus Christ And him crucified. Because I know that's God's message and that God will do his work through it. See, he didn't try to change it or water it down. So much watering down happens today. So much talking about other things. So much not focusing on the main thing happens. We want to make the message palatable. We want to make it non-offensive. We want to make it so that people love it and want to hear it. We want to craft our messages and our services so that pagans can come in and enjoy themselves. And I'm telling you, that's not a biblical philosophy of ministry. Because Paul went with a message he knew people thought were foolish. Offensive. That apart from God working, they would hate it. But out of love for God and love for the people and a desire to be used and be faithful to God, he was willing to go with a message that people thought was foolish. He was willing to be what he called a fool for Christ. He was willing to not be impressive. He was willing to be simple. He was willing to take the spotlight and you, We don't do spotlights here. But if you've ever been to a show where you see a spotlight that zooms in. He was willing to keep the spotlight on Jesus. And not himself. He was willing to preach that foolishly simple message. Knowing that the spirit would use it to both call And grow his people. And God did. And a church was planted. It wasn't about him being clever. Having the best illustrations and all of these. It wasn't about drawing the spotlight on Paul at all. It was about Christ being glorious. And highlighted as the Savior that he is. James Denny said this, another quote, No man can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save. The spotlight needs to be on the simple message of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because that is the message that God uses, not just words, God uses to convert and grow his people. So can you start witnessing to people with Jesus? Yeah. Yes, you can. And then you can fill it in with details as you discern the need for more. I mean, the summary of the gospel is Christ. One word. Jesus is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the grave and salvation is found in him. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Very simple gospel outline. We don't have to start with the law. And work our way up to Jesus, but as we start talking to people about who Jesus is, we have to explain God, man, why He came, right? And as we we ask them why did He come, then we might discern they don't really understand sin. So we can go back, we can bring all of that in, so that there's true biblical conviction. But yeah, you can start with Jesus. See, many the reason I'm, I went here, and the reason I'm I'm talking about this now. One of the reasons is, and this is especially true sometimes in the Reformed church, we don't witness because we overcomplicate the message. We don't witness because we overcomplicate the message. We're not sure we're going to say the right thing. We're waiting until we get it all figured out. Paul didn't do that. Now, again, I grant this is a summary. But this can be very helpful to us if we will simplify so that we can actually do it. And we can bring all of the stuff that we know. Listen, God doesn't expect you to share anything you don't know. He will empower you to share His Word and share what you've learned. And the words I don't know are very important. There's three other words, four, but I'll find out. I don't know, but I'll find out. I don't know, I can help you with that. Most of the times, those things don't ever turn out to be important. But see, many times, most of the time, we don't witness because we're scared of what people are going to think about us or we're afraid we're going to mess up the message. We've overcomplicated it. See, in our witness, and I don't blame you if this is your... I mean, I'm not trying to dig up any more stumps that size. We don't witness because we're trying to dig up the stump and it's hard and it hurts your spiritual back when you try to, right? Listen, listen to me. This is everything, but especially witness. Always keep things as simple as possible. Now I said as possible but always keep things as simple as possible. Always keep the spotlight focused on Jesus. Be willing to share a very short message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified or to expand upon that when it's necessary. But don't overcomplicate the message or you won't share the message. And then last thing, He, he embraced faith. So what we want to avoid is... is, is Relying on eloquence and human wisdom in our own strength, what we want to embrace is Holy Spirit fueled courage, boldness with the gospel. We want to embrace simplicity and last we embrace faith. What do I mean by that? Well, what Paul is saying here when he when he's talking about his speech were not in plausible words or wisdom, but watch the last part of verse four in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I've heard people actually take that phrase and flip it right around so that what they meant was the person spoke with eloquence. No, no, no. It's the demonstration of the Spirit working is, and, and the Spirit's power is that this simple message is shared, focused on Christ and that people are brought to conviction and faith. You see that in Thessalonians. I'll let you go read that. But the evidence of the power of the Spirit is that God takes a very simple message and converts people with it. He said, what I want to be on display is the power of the Spirit, that he takes the gospel and brings people to faith and grows them to grace. Now, why do you want it that way, Paul? Look at verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God what you're primarily impacted by is the message Christ and Him crucified. What you turn and believe is that, so that you trust in Jesus. You're convicted of your sin and you turn and you trust in Jesus and receive Him as your Savior. That's the power of the Spirit at work. That's resting in what God's Spirit can do. God can use you And the simple message he's given you to convert his children. See, Paul intentionally and simply preached a message he knew would be rejected unless the Spirit applied it to the heart. He didn't water it down. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't craft it so people would like it. He didn't make it primarily about them and their, and expanding their kingdom. He pointed them to Christ and called on them for repentance and faith. The reason I wanted to share this text with you this morning is to get you to to recalibrate, get me to recalibrate, get me to embrace, you know, and relate to the Apostle Paul. It's okay if you're afraid. In fact, you should be afraid. Yes, you should be fearing God first and foremost, but man, it's intimidating to speak a message that you know people are going to hate. But if God's Spirit is at work in you, you, you you'll want to overcome all of that. And you'll have compassion for your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and is living a hopeless life and has no hope for the life to come. And you will, will want to share with them the message that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's share with people Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Today, I want to give you a challenge and a simple outline. A challenge and a simple outline. First, the simple outline. I want to give you two questions. That's all. Two questions that come from this part of the text in chapter 2. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And there are some things going on here that, that that will help you and help me in in our witness. The first question is who is Jesus? First of all, asking questions. This is a great way to witness by asking questions. You're asking people what they think and you're listening to them. Instead of just Bleh. You know, people's eyes glaze over and they quit. You're just dumping information on people. No, we want to genuinely love our neighbor. We want to genuinely take an interest in our neighbor. We want our neighbor to feel loved and heard. I mean, even if they hate the message, but people will listen when they've been listened to, generally speaking, and people want to share their opinion most of the time. So if you ask them, who is Jesus? In your opinion, who is Jesus? I mean, however you want to craft it. But ask who is Jesus and then listen to what they say. And what they give you back will show you where to go. As you explain Jesus and the incarnation, God and man who came to fix what Adam had broken and Israel had broken, what we had broken, God's law, we had sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. We deserve only condemnation. But instead of condemning us, God sent his son. To live for us and die for us and be raised for us and reign for us. He, He died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised the third day and salvation is through trusting in Him. See, when you ask a question and you listen to what people say, then that shows you where to go. You don't have to have a canned outline that you share with them because you might find out, you might find out this person's a believer when you start asking questions. Conversation goes in a completely different place. But the first question is, who is Jesus? And listen, and listen, I want to share with something else. If they say, I'm not interested in talking about that, what do you do? You respect that. That doesn't mean you don't keep praying and keep looking for other opportunities to talk with them about that. If you go around browbeating people who don't want to hear you, I mean, they say, you come in they will go somewhere else. So don't, don't you be the one that's offensive, but, but, you know, ask permission to ask questions and ask for their opinion. And most of the time, you'll get it. Most of the time, people will give you something and give you give you some, some time. So the first question of a simple outline is, who is Jesus? Do you think you can remember that? <coughs> you have it already, right? Second question, what did he come to do? Or why did he come, however you want to phrase that. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Why was he born? What was his mission? I don't care, really, how you answer that. I mean, ask that. What did he come to do? That's the second part. See, it was Christ, who is Jesus, and him crucified. What did he come to do? And from those two questions, you listening to who you're talking to, seeing how much they know, it will guide you in what more you can say. And you know what? Sometimes you might have to say, man, that was a great answer lot there that I'd like to talk about, but I mean, we, you know, lunch breaks over, we have to get back to work. Let's, let's talk about that some more and leave it open-ended. But if you have time, when you ask these questions, you'll hear what people know or don't know and know where to go with it. But you can get to the entire gospel from these two questions. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Start here. Ask and listen and fill in the biblical details. And listen, when you're filling in details for people, share scripture. Share scripture. Even if it's sort of a your own paraphrase of what you remember, try your best to share in your answers, share scripture. The word is the power. The gospel is the power. But share scripture with people. So when you ask who is Jesus, you might get, well, he was a good teacher. He was a good man. He was a misunderstood man. You know, you can use C.S. Lewis and point him back to Scripture. You can use other things. You know, he's either a liar, Lord, or he's a lunatic. You know, but, you know, just before you get there, just share with Scripture. Well, what about John 1, 1? Or, you know, script, yes, he was a great teacher. Awesome. He was a prophet. In fact, he is the prophet, priest, and king right? But he's also God in the flesh. And here's how we know that from Scripture. He was crucified. See? What did he come to do? They might, they might not have an answer for that, but you can tell them He came to live to fulfill all righteousness and to die the pay the penalty for our sin. If you don't have that much time, just do what the Bible does. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. We all deserve wrath. He took that. He paid the penalty on the cross. So you see what I'm saying? You can take these two questions and see what people know with them and from their answers, know where to go to bring in the law and to bring all the other things that you need to bring in so that they understand sin. They understand judgment on sin. They understand salvation, free gift in Christ. You can get there from two questions. From Christ and Him crucified. Listen, I've had some of this feedback. If you don't want to wit- to witness to people, if you don't want to tell them about Jesus, that is a heart problem. Now, it come it could come from prior experiences in the church. It could come for from a lot of different reasons. But if you just simply won't talk to people about Jesus, you don't want to. That's a heart problem. That's something you need to pray into and talk to your pastors about. But see, most of us want to witness. We just embrace that we stink at it. We don't really know what to do. We're, we're, we get controlled by that fear and so we we just kind of get muzzled by it. So I wanted to help us. I wanted to help me this morning. I wanted to help you with giving us these two questions that we can ask and get to the gospel through them so that we can be witnesses. So simple outline. I think you've already got it. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? There's your outline. Now fill it in with biblical truth. All, all, all the biblical truth that you know. God doesn't hold you responsible to share the stuff you don't know. Remember and be willing to say, I don't know. But what you do know a lot more than you give yourself credit for when you get in the midst of these conversations. Anybody ever had that experience where you, you do get into a witnessing situation? This doesn't happen every time. Okay. But then you have those times when you get into a witnessing situation and sometimes things are coming out of your mouth where you're even going, huh. I don't remember reading that or whatever, but I mean, because God's spirit is empowering you. And and most of the times you come away wishing you said some stuff, but encouraged because you did it. So try using these two questions. You'll find people more engaged and responsive if you do ask a question and let them speak. So let them speak and listen. And I want to challenge you this week. Listen, I'm committing to do this with you. I'm going to do this with you and I'm going to stand up here if we're still live streaming next week or wherever we are. I'm going to stand up here and either confess my sin for not doing it or tell you what happened. I'm going to embrace this challenge with you. I'm committing with you. Ask these two questions of somebody outside your comfort zone. You can't check it off by going and asking your two year old at home or your spouse. I mean, once you do that, talk about that with your spouse and your Christian brothers and sisters and teach it to your children. But a coworker or a neighbor and pray before you do, right? If you, you know, pray in the morning, you, it might be a general prayer and you might not see this opportunity coming. But seek to make the opportunity to ask these two questions to somebody outside of your comfort zone talking about these things with. Somebody you at least suspect is not a believer. Right? So the homework this week is to ask somebody outside your comfort zone these two questions. I mean, make it easy. Blame it on me if you want to. The preacher asked us as sort of a homework from the sermon to ask people two questions. Can I ask you those two questions? They say no. Okay, cool. Go find somebody else. Right? So however you want to craft that. But ask these two questions. That's the application. That's it. So we saw that we were called to be on mission based on Christ being king, based on him giving us the gospel and the command to make disciples last week. Now this week I'm trying to help us how to do that. And so those two questions come simply from Christ and him crucified. Ask those two questions this week. Listen, if this week you're not around anybody that you could ask those to, and I realize social distancing is making this hard, you can do this online. Not just generally though, right? Find a person, Zoom with a person, message with a person, or whatever other form you have of talking to a person. Or do it in person when things are loosening up some, more stores are open, more opportunities are out there. But if we never get around unbelievers, that's a problem in our life anyway. We need to be around people who don't know Jesus. But please join me this week. I'm committing to do this with you, that this week I'm going to ask somebody I at least suspect is an unbeliever, whether it's my neighbor or whatever, and I'll pray into it. I'm going to ask them these two questions and seek to share Christ with them. Will you do it? Remember, embrace a power outside yourself. Don't try to dig up the spiritual stump of unbelief on your own resources. Embrace your weakness and embrace God's strength. Embrace courage through prayer. Embrace simplicity. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And go with His gospel in His strength for His glory and for your own good. Go and be powerfully weak this week. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you told the first disciples to follow you and you would make them fishers of men. And you are continuing to make fishers of men and women. You are continuing to make gospel witnesses and help us be those witnesses. And I pray help us be those witnesses this week. Help us to stop procrastinating. Help us to stop being controlled by fear and comfort and whatever else is controlling us that keeps us from speaking of you, open our lips, first of all, open our hearts to love for you, Lord Jesus. To love for our neighbor who doesn't know you. To knowing that their need is, their primary need is to know you, is to be saved, is to trust you. To believe that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. So help us to pray into it and confess our fear and weakness and all of that to you. Help us to pray for opportunities. Help us to even sort of spiritually look around when we pray and pray for specific people that we might be able to ask these two questions of to really want to share the gospel with. And Maybe we only get to ask one and we're going to come back and talk about it later. But help us to find somebody that we can ask both of these questions to not just to check it off but sort of to step back into our gracious and joyful responsibility to be light and salt because that's what we are help us to respond rightly to conviction with repentance help us to respond to our weakness with prayer and uh, just use us as, as an instrument in your hands lord to share the glory of the good news, of the salvation that we have in Christ with those who don't know you. Lord, if there be any listening to this sermon that that don't know you today, we pray that you would give them an understanding of their need for Christ, that we have all broken your law, we deserve your condemnation, we stand under your wrath and we, we cannot have hope for life after this life without your grace. We cannot fix our sin problem. We need someone to fix it for us. And that's why Christ came to live, to provide a perfect righteousness, to die, to pay the penalty for our sins, to be raised, proving it's all true. And the glorious good news is you give salvation as a free gift. You grant repentance and faith through the preaching of the gospel. So I pray that many would turn and trust in Christ, maybe for the first time this morning. We thank you that you love the world in this way, that you sent your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those of us who have come to faith in you, refill us with that zeal we had at first, with that love we had at first when we came to faith in you. And rest us in you. And help us, Lord, to speak of grace to brag on our God, to share the good news of salvation in Christ. We give you praise and ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.